Welcome along to episode 741 of The Milk Bar. Jason Forrest here with you as ever. Coming up on the show this week, Jean Martin lets us know what it's like to be part of Holland's Got Talent. We'll be talking to Caroline Thomas about the work that she's doing alongside her husband, Adam, uh, with Birdseye to make sure that we've got some great food on the table as the kids head back to school. Dan Morris lets us know about his book, Charting the Life and Times of a DJ over the last couple of decades. We'll be hearing from the Real Wild Estates as they're working with L'Oreal, rewilding ground across the nation. Uh, Malcolm James, joins us he's in the woman in black at the grand theater this week so we'll be finding out about his part in that show trinity theater have a streetcar named desire we'll be hearing about that john starkey is going to be along to talk about a wonderful world of clairvoyance and we'll be having a natter with rod bissett from the grange players all about their latest show too that's all on the way on the show this week welcome to the milk bar welcome to the milk bar Welcome to the milk bar. Welcome to the milk bar. Welcome to the milk bar. Susan Hills, the woman in black, is at Wolverhampton's Grand Theatre from the 6th through to the 9th of September. Following a 33-year run in London, it's out on the road. To tell us more about what he's up to in this show is a I mean, local lad is I think I'm going to have, I'm going to describe Mr. Warsaw and Malcolm James. How are you doing, sir? I'm very well indeed, thank you. Good stuff. Now, uh, obviously, uh, an amazing show to be part of, uh, a terrifying tale. Uh, we've got ghostly goings on and we have got an interesting resolution. But let's not go there. Let's talk about what's happening. How did this, this come together for you? Uh, well, I've been in the show before. Um, I toured it way back in 2014-15, although we never came to Wolverhampton that time. Mm -hmm. And I then did it 2016 uh, in the West End for nine months. So I'm quite familiar with the show. I've played it so far, I think, 500-something times. Um, so this tour will give me another about 200 shows under my belt, I think. Um, but never, never played Wolverhampton Grand at all. So this is quite an adventure for me. That's unusual for a fella who was literally uh, born, what, 10 miles away? I oh, know. I, <laughs> yes, exactly. I was born in Walsall. Um, for anyone who, who knows it well, I was born on the Beachdale Estate in Karma. And, uh, well, we lived there until I was 10, and then we moved to a uh, little block switch in, in the northern Walsall. So I was there till I was 18, and my parents still live there. Um, and until... I think it was 97, my mum sadly uh, developed uh, dementia and could no longer look after herself. So we moved her, my sister was living in Mosley at the time. So we um, we moved her to live closer to there, but no, uh, uh, strong links with the area. And so that means that uh, many of the family who can get along will be along to see you at the Grand, I'm gonna guess. Uh, one or two of them are still left. Um, I have an uncle who lives in Wensbury, so he might try and come along. Um, other than that, they're few and far between. I'm quite <laughs> old myself now, so the rest of them have, have, uh, have gone before me. Mm -hmm. But I say it, it, this is it's going to be a, a treat to be part of the show in an amazing theatre to, to, to host it and exactly the sort of feel for this sort of show, I think. Oh, it's perfect. Um, on a tour like this, inevitably, inevitably, we play a whole variety of theatres and some of them are quite new and modern and, and the show, um, it, it, it takes a while to get the atmosphere going. But in an older theatre, um, like The Grand and several others on the tour, it's absolutely perfect. And quite a lot of theatres, I'm not sure if, if The Grand is one of them, have their own theatre ghost. So we always hope that that she or he is going to come out and say hello to the woman in black and have a little ghostly confab. So um, we'll wait and see. 
if there's a hint of lavender when you're on that stage, then she's made her way down from the dress circle. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Oh, okay. Oh, I look forward to meeting her. Is she a woman in grey by any chance? It's usually a woman in grey. They, they often are. Well, in this case, we're talking about the woman in black, though. So it'll be an interesting uh, clash of uh, outfits if that were to be the case. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> now, this has been seen by more than 7 million people worldwide. And uh, it's well worth adding y yourself to this number. Uh, it, it, there's uh, a lot of um, intrigue in here. And uh, the uh, Arthur Kipps, an intriguing world for him. Uh, yes, um, I it, it, it's a fascinating story. Uh, uh, Stephen Malatrat, who, who turned it into a play, um, he's really faithful to Susan Hill's novel. So anybody who loves the novel, they can be confident. It's, it's really that story. Mm -hmm. He did cleverly was I'm playing um, the older Arthur Kipps. Arthur Kipps, when he was a young solicitor, went through a terrible experience and it's traumatized him. And what he's doing now, so many years later, is hiring a young actor to try and help him tell that story in the hope that he will finally kind of exercise his demons, I suppose, purge himself of this terrible memory. So between them, they're acting out this story. So this young actor that he's hired is gonna play himself as a young man, the young Arthur Kipps. And I, the older Arthur Kipps, I'm gonna play the other characters that I met as a young man along the way. So it's, um, it's a fascinating way of telling the story and, and as well as being a very effective ghost story and a, a, a chiller and a thriller, it also celebrates what theatre can do, which is so different from film, which is why I think it's just so fantastic to watch as a live experience. Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, with, with film, you pause it, you, you, you look away. It's a box in the corner. With theatre, it oh. is immersive. You're there feeling okay. the emotions of those people on stage. Ab absolutely. I mean, the, there is a film version. I'm sure people know with Daniel Radcliffe, um, not long after his Harry Potter days. If you go watch the film, um, you know, you can chomp your way through a bucket of popcorn, you can leave for 20 minutes, come back and chat to your friends, auntie, your phone. Daniel Radcliffe on that screen will be none the wiser. He will just carry on. In the theatre, yeah, the, the audience is very much part of the experience. It's immersive, like you say. And what's brilliant about this production is because it's set in a theatre where these two people have met and are going to reenact the show, the audience are, are sat in the set. They're in the middle of the set where it's all going to happen. So it is immersive. Stuff is happening in front of them. It could happen behind. It could happen all around. So they're very much part of the experience. And we hope they they buy into that. I love I love going to theatre and performing in theatre because there is that bond between the actor and the audience where they, they're coming and they're, they're so much part of it. If they want to talk all the way through the show, that's going to affect us because we will hear it. There is no screen between us and the, and the audience. So um, if people answer their phones and have a conversation, we do, believe it or not, notice that. Yeah, please do not do that. It will spoil the atmosphere for everybody and it will spoil the performance because you can't uh, compete with something like that. And I think that's one thing we have to remember these days. We, we've got to have, have yeah, flight modes engaged. Uh, exactly. I mean, I think an announcement is made at the beginning of the show, but people still forget. What's worse is if it rings and then people answer it and have the conversation. <laughs> well, they decide. What happens sometimes is they think, well, I'm not going to have a conversation on the phone, but I'll just check my messages. So you're there looking out into a completely dark auditorium, and then a little green light comes on and somebody's see a little ghostly face of somebody <laughs> in the audience looking at the phone. So please don't do that if you plan to come and see the show. Absolutely. Come and see the show, but leave the phone on silent in your pocket and don't answer it. Uh, uh, yeah, they, they, it is uh, really uh, the importance of, of live theatre should never be diminished by the tech, which can uh, somewhat spoil it. And they say this is 
really, it, it takes us back in time, doesn't it? This is true theatre, uh, as we've seen for centuries. Oh, oh, absolutely. I mean, this is, um, there are some tricks in the show, but they're very um, traditional, um, old fashioned tricks. Um, this is not, um, it's not the kind of special effects you would get in a film. Of course, it can't compete with that sort of budget. Um, but it's very effective. I mean, this, as you said, it's been running for 33 years in the West End, only finished this year. So many people have seen it and loved it. And many people who've seen both the film version and the stage prefer the stage for all the reasons we've said. You actually feel like you're in it and it's happening in front of you. Um, and we're performing it that night for the audience in that theatre. And it's our job to persuade them that it's as if it's just been done once and once only for them that night. And I think that's that's what makes it so exciting and effective. But yeah, literally uh, skin crawling, hair on the back of the neck, terrifying, blood curdling moments. Oh, oh, there are some fantastic moments in it. And I, I do love it because I'll know when those are coming. So I, <laughs> as I'm looking out and I'm thinking, oh, 10 seconds time, you know what's going to happen. Um, and of course, people sometimes shout out involuntary things, which are not the kind of things I can repeat here, uh, which is always very amusing. Um, but yeah, people are genuinely, there's a great atmosphere in it. So people are caught up in that. And then there are certain very effective um, moments. Um, so yeah, it's it's just a great night out. The way people, I mean, people who go to see horror movies love being scared because I think you know at the end of it, the lights go up and you you walk home and it's all fine. Mm -hmm. um, it's the same thing going to a, a scary show in the theatre. It's it's a great communal experience. Everybody's there to just have a have a good old scare, and it, it's a great story. It's a good ghost story, but it's also a really intriguing mystery who is this woman what does she want why does she want it so those are all the questions that, that keep you going through the show and it's the conversations that happen during the interval and after the show's finished that are all again part of it you know have a chat in the bar over over a, a, a cup of tea coffee or your you know, alcoholic beverage of choice always drink responsibly and uh, you know really you just sort of explore what's happening as part of it that's the time to have your conversations Exactly, exactly. Don't do it during the show. Don't nudge your neighbour and say, what did he just say? And what was going on with that bit? I did just miss that bit. No, no, no. Wait for the interval and talk about it then, as you say, after the show. There's no pause button in theatre. Well, it's going to be a, a, an amazing production. And uh, uh, you are really, uh, uh, certainly a, a fully qualified stage actor. You've done your time on stage, and I think that is uh, it's part of it. We see you on TV. I mean, you appear in loads of things. and uh, uh, But you, you, you've never really sort of settled down into a, a recent TV role. You've, you've used it as, as appearances, haven't you? So I think the stage is your home. Stage is my home. I've done bits of TV over the years. Um, I do love theatre. I always like coming back to it. I just love the experience of being out there entertaining. And as an actor, you're, I, I feel more in control. You, know, you do bits of TV or film, whatever. Um, you do it to the best of your ability, but I have no control then of how it's edited, whether I might hit the cutting room floor. Um, it might where I'm sort of hardly in the scene or, or you know, you have no control. With With... Obviously, you're working with a director all the time, but then when you're out there on the stage, it's you and, in this case, the other actor. You're working together as a team, and you're doing the whole rhythm of the show, and it's you feel so much in control of what's happening. Uh, you're not at the mercy of an editor. So I always love coming back to theatre for that reason. Well, it is the original live on stage. It is the woman in black, Dame Susan Hill's amazing work, brought to life 
by amazing actors. It's going to be a true treat. Grandtheatre.co.uk to get your tickets. Call the box office on 01902429212 and get yourself along. So it runs from, interestingly, a Wednesday through to Saturday. And there are also uh, performances with uh, subtitles in there as well. So you do check out that uh, on the on the Saturday shows for, to make sure it's accessible to all. And we can all feel that little tingle as we watch a, a stage show, which is it's going to petrify you in blazes, isn't it? It is, absolutely. Welcome, James. Good to talk to you. Thank you for joining us. Have a brilliant time on stage. Break a leg. And we look forward to seeing you at the Grand for the first time. Thank you so much, Jason. Thank you. The Grange players are back on stage from the 14th through to the 23rd of September. Accomplice is the title of the show. Rod Bissett is here to tell us more. Hello, sir. Hello, Jason. How are you doing? I'm all right. I hope we're finding you well and looking forward to yet another outing on stage, even though personally, are you appearing on stage this time? This one is me directing this time. So hopefully shouldn't see me on the stage. Unless something goes horribly, horribly wrong. But that's, of course, not going to happen. <laughs> um, but uh, a fun one to 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 look at, though, because this has got all sorts of angles to it. It really has. This is a bit of an unknown one um, in, in theatre circles, because it, it based on, on the plot, it has to keep its cards very, very close to its chest. But what Accomplice is, is it is a murder, mystery, thriller, comedy. OK, that's a good start. So, murder, mystery, comedy okay so that's that's selling it well uh because everyone loves a good murder mystery everyone loves a good comedy stick it all together what have you got a play that's on at the grange fantastic so what is the basic plot is that we are introduced to the lovely home of uh derek and janet taylor mm -hmm. and they are your typical 1970s married couple where janet is sick to death of her husband <laughs> And so he's planning to kill him with the help of her lover, John. All the while trying to work out what to do about John's wife, Melinda. It could get messy is what you're telling us here, isn't it? It absolutely does get messy. <laughs> now, it must be good for bringing this sort of thing to the stage. I know you like to do a wide range of plays, both at Grange and uh, the, uh, the the fellowship uh, players. You know I mean, we, we technically would class them as almost a sister company of performers. Because of the absolutely. Crossover. We absolutely do. I mean, most of our audiences tend to be the same, so they don't care which company's giving the uh, <laughs> the quality theatre. So they they don't tend to see the difference, to be honest. The venue itself really plays host to this sort of thing well, and you, you're going to be nice and close to the action, aren't you? Oh, you you you'll be able. Please don't, but you'll be able to spit on the uh, actors. You'll be that close if you're on the front row. <laughs> no, definitely don't do that. That is <laughs> part of the theatre etiquette: is you never spit on the actors. We'd rather you didn't, if, if it's all the same. <laughs> I can't think of a production where that would be required. Uh, but uh, it, it's it's a, a story which you're going to enjoy telling. Tell us about your cast. So I have got uh, Helen Stott. I've got Corey Killian. I've got Josh Gallagher. And I've got Francesca Reese. And how do their roles sort of, uh, sort of fit together in all of this? Uh, Helen is going to be playing uh, Janet. Mm-hmm. Uh, Corey is going to be playing John. Uh, Josh is playing Derek, and Fran is playing uh, Melinda. And who do you think's got the most intriguing role there? Because they've they've all got amazing parts to play, but they, each of them has got very distinct bits of the, of the story which comes across from each of them. The interesting thing with this one is everyone's got their own fun bit to do. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but the nice thing with this with this play is, although I've described it as a murder mystery, it's not so much a who done it as a who gets it. Okay. So at no point is it clear who actually is going to be murdered. Oh, that makes it even more intriguing. I'm liking the sound of this. This is uh, again. This is this is the sort of thing you guys like to pick up on. Something a bit different. Oh, absolutely. I mean, as, when I got hold of this of this play, I absolutely fell in love with it. Not just <laughs> for the the plot, but also the technical side, which has really challenged both our tech team and our set builders in terms of how we can bring this this plot to our stage. This you'll be able to see when it is on stage. Give us all the ticket details. So as ever, you can go to our website, which is thegrangeplayers.co.uk, and you'll be able to go straight onto our uh, booking page from there, or you can go straight directly to Ticket Source and just search for Grange Players. Uh, you can also phone our box office should you want to buy your tickets through our box office lady. Okay, so that's 07909 036835. That's 07909 036835. Ticketsource.co.uk forward slash the dash grange dash players dash limited, just to make that one fun and interesting. Uh, as you say, you can nip along to the uh, the Grange Players website or find, of course, the Grange Players on Facebook, uh, where you get all sorts of little updates. You get to see pictures of the cast before you get there. And uh, you get to find out about the forthcoming productions, including one that's already been penciled in for March of next year. The uh, The Woman in White. So you did that without, without even having to look at your notes. I'm impressed. Uh, I, know, I know our season well, and it is absolutely one that we're all looking forward to to finally seeing on the stage, as we promised. So that's going to be good. But uh, obviously, lots more going on. Uh, do check all the details. And of course, you had a wonderful time down there with the the uh, the, the David Tristram of this world uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I, I know that went brilliantly as well. Re- really well, well received and it was wonderful to bring something that that fresh and new to to the stage absolutely so full credit and well done to everyone involved in in bringing that to to our audience well have a fantastic time break a leg to all the cast and uh, we look forward to accomplished being brought to the stage by the grange players from the 14th through to the 23rd of september rod bissett as ever thank you very much thank you so much From the 26th through to the 30th of September, Trinity players are performing Tennessee Williams, a streetcar named Desire. Part of the crew and cast is Jennifer Hollyhead, who joins me now. Hello. Hello. Nice to see you. Uh, good to see you too. Obviously, busy times. Uh, I find you at uh, in the kitchen at the rehearsal. Uh, so uh, <laughs> the rest of the gang are sorting themselves out next door. But what is happening? Because it's going to be a, another amazing show. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a bit of a different one. So um, Streetcar Named Desire, everybody, I think, knows from um, the old film with Marlon Brando and Vivian Lee. Um, it's been a classic text for, for ages. Um, but this one we take it a bit differently. So the cast are actually directing themselves. So we're kind of production team and cast at the same time. Um, so we're really busy and we're trying to get all the onstage stuff and offstage stuff done simultaneously. Um, so a bit of a challenge in a few weeks. Because yeah, there are a lot of characters in this as well, aren't there? Yeah, quite a few. A uh, cast of uh, eight, nine, something like that. That's a lot to coordinate, particularly when you're doing something different and directing yourselves. Yeah, yeah. Um, luckily, we were all getting on really well and no one's had a falling out yet or anything like that. Um, and we are just taking it in turns. So if you're not on stage, we're kind of looking at, you know, what works, what doesn't, that sort of thing. Um, people have taken on roles in terms of writing down the props that come up and making sure we've got props lists and lighting plots and things like that. Um 
so yeah, it's been good so far. Um, we'll see how it pans out by the time we get to the the, uh, the nitty gritty tech rehearsals when it all uh, all needs to come together. It'll but be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> That's the good bit. Right. So I mean streetcar name desire. Uh, not something I've read, as you said already, though, is a text for many who've maybe done their uh, English uh, lit exam. I didn't I did English language. Uh so but it is something that many will experience at the A level. And uh, uh, a story which is is familiar, yet sometimes unfamiliar to people as well when it comes to performing on stage. Yeah, it is. Um I mean to give you a little bit of a rundown, it's about a woman called Blanche. Um, who comes to stay with her sister in New Orleans. Um, you slowly find, you find out in the first scene that she's lost the family plantation and um, everything kind of starts to unravel from that revelation, really. Um, and it's just about her journey into, I would say, madness, maybe, her kind of decline. Um, it's supposed to be one of the kind of the greatest pieces of theatre, of, of drama ever written. Um, and we're definitely all finding it really interesting to look at. But every time you start to look at something in a character, you kind of go down a bit of a rabbit hole because there's so much in there to unpack. Um, you could just keep researching, researching. So that's why I think it's been on the A-level syllabus for so long, because there's so much to look at um, for every single scene, every single character. But yeah, it's it's good. It's nice to have a challenge, you know, something meaty to to really get into for a change. And uh, yeah, the accents that come with it as well, they make it... Uh, an even more interesting exploration of the talents that each of the performers has. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, accents in terms of different characters, but also in terms of hitting the deep Southern American accent as well. We're all kind of um, trying to find something that um, that sounds right and that works for those characters. Um, yeah, it's not an easy one to to get started with, you know, but, yeah. but fun, really fun. And a, and a challenge is always good. And with the quality of work that uh, Trinity put together, you know that you're going to get a, a polished piece and the audiences are going to enjoy seeing it on stage. Yeah, yeah, we're working hard and uh, and we want to give the best that we can. So um, we only have a very, very short uh, rehearsal period for our play. So we do a musical which just finished in June. Um, we cast the play just slightly afterwards. So we have a couple of months over the summer to get everything ready. I think we've had 14 weeks in total. Yeah, but you use the magic word though, they're yeah. summer, which means a lot of people have been away on holiday and that makes it even yeah. more intriguing. That's even more. So we've got a couple of people away tonight. Uh, I think the next time we have the full cast together is in about two weeks time um, to try and get everything done. So um, so yeah, that's that's a challenge in itself, but one that we were kind of aware of, I suppose, before we start. So less of a, a burden. Um, but but no, it's good. It's going to be a really interesting show. It's a dark show. It's a dark story. But the characters themselves are so different. Then I don't think it's not a sort of um, you don't come to the theatre and think, oh, <laughs> you know, you're sitting through a, a slog for the whole night. Um, there's loads and loads of different little storylines in there that uh, uh, that keep you interested. And uh, uh, a chance to to for the audience to explore who they see on stage, and maybe they'll get a different take on it to them when they've read the book. Oh yeah, definitely. I think um, if you read, like just us from reading the text first of all, to then going in and starting to explore it every week, we're coming up with something different, and we're starting to add in our own little bits and pieces and our own little sort of themes that are running through um, that we've picked up for the characters. So. That's been the nice thing about being able to direct ourselves as well, that those ideas that we have, we can kind of bring to the table and um, and put on stage. So, so I'm playing Blanche. Um, and for me, her thing has become flowers. 
Um, she talks a lot about flowers through the play. So if you've got a kind of BDI, you'll notice like little flowers in the costumes and that sort of thing. Just just little bits that um, that we've got running through, little threads that we've got running through mm -hmm. to follow. Um, a bit like a but treasure hunt for the audience if they want to. <laughs> <laughs> You're looking for the Easter eggs, which in this case are flowers. Yeah, yeah, but uh, with, with that, though, well, it, it is about scenery sets and props as well. And uh, again, this is something which is uh, brought together by the company. And uh, the, the, there's no sort of pre-packed set for this. It's not like doing Shrek, mm -hmm. is it? No, no, not at all. Um, and I love that. You know, you can start um, with a complete blank canvas and build up from there. Um the great thing about this is that the story can kind of tell itself. The story tells a lot. You don't need much in terms of set. Um, like Shrek, you kind of need to create Shrek's world, you know? <laughs> um, whereas we're doing a lot with sound effects and with um, with character and just building up kind of the extra smaller character roles a little bit to create that kind of community in New Orleans. Um, so we're performing at Street Community Centre, which has a stage and has lighting, but it doesn't really kind of lend itself to really big set pieces either so it gives us another chance to just be a bit creative um so the set will um will kind of just be a suggestion of the set so we've got door frames rather than full full walls um mm -hmm. to walk through just to kind of give you an idea and let the audience's imagination kind of take um take on the rest i suppose mm -hmm. um but yeah yeah it's it's nice to be able to add to not be fixed by a fixed set if that makes sense uh, but equally, you say with a door frame but no walls, you can sort of kind of see what's coming as well. Yes, mm -hmm. the character will won't acknowledge it, and I think again that's going to be quite interesting for the, the the way the play expands in people's minds as they're seeing an overview that the characters don't know about yet. And again, that's part of telling a story, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So there was a production that happened at the National uh, a few years ago now with Gillian Anderson, and they had a very open set that was on a revolve. And so the audience were all in the round and it depended on where you were sat in the audience as to which take on the story, like how you saw a scene and the angle that you saw a scene. Um, so it's fascinating to be able to play with that perception um, and, you know, bring things out into the audience a little bit so that perhaps somebody hears something a little bit closer than they would um, if it was all just on a set. Um, yeah, it's fun. You know, we could keep going on this show, I think, for months and months and months, just drawing out all of these nice little um, little bits in it. Unfortunately, we don't have that on. <laughs> but yeah, but it's, it will be great for an audience to be able to sit there and kind of, as you say, build their own story and build their own take on it. Well, I, I'm sure that uh, with the guiding that you're going to be doing, the acting that will be there and the way in which the stories are told, this is going to be brought to life for so many people. As you say, it's taking place at Streetly Community Centre, 26th through to the 30th of September. The box office is 01783 928830. That's 07843 928830. Or nip along to ticketsource.co.uk forward slash trinity players and get your tickets that way. Also, look for Trinity Players on Facebook and see everything that's coming together and get a bit of a snapshot of uh, the other members of the cast too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, don't just come and look at me. Um, you'll see enough of me on podcast. Although a lot of it is going to be looking at you based on your role in this play. Yeah, I don't I don't leave the stage that much. So please go on Facebook, go and find. We've got some great photos that we've got, uh, we've had taken um, just to kind of get started. We've got some rehearsal shots going on, uh, some little snippets. And um, there's more and more information on there. But um, really hope that you can come and join us. Well, do nip along, enjoy uh, the play, break a leg to you and all the cast, have a fantastic Thank time you. in all that you're doing. Tennessee Williams, a streetcar name desire from Trinity Players. Looking forward to seeing that later on this month. Thank you.
Their parents are becoming bogged down by that back-to-school to-do list, whether it's getting the backpack ready, finding the uniform, or just trying to work out where the shoes went at the end of last term. There's lots to get sorted out. So that's more about how we can get these things under control. I'm joined now by Caroline Thomas, personality, wife of Adam Thomas and mum of two, as well as being a dance teacher. I'm not sure how she fits it all in. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I hope we find you well. Yeah, absolutely. Really, yeah. really good. Looking forward to getting rid of my kids. <laughs> Is it sending them back to school? Actually, you, you kind of get getting extras absolutely. there because we mentioned Adam. That's because, but only because he's going off to do some dancing in a bit, isn't he? So uh, you, you're basically yeah. going to get everybody out of the house. Yeah, it's going to be a really, really busy time for us. Um, but again, a really exciting time. Um, but yeah, no, I am saying I'm get, glad to get rid of them. They've driven me mad these past <laughs> few days, but at the same time, it is a really, really stressful time. Um, you know, the children going back to school, birds I I am partnering up with, which is like an absolute joy. Um, and they've done a bit of research in finding out that over half of parents like me just stress out at this time of year. Um and they are helping out um, with just a reminder um, that they are there to help us out at this time of year. Yeah, because I mean, when it comes down to your, your bird's eye foods, whether you've got the fish fingers and the captain helping out to make sure that they're on your table, or whether you're enjoying some brilliant frozen veg, it's about getting the, the food right at the same time as getting back into the swing of things as well. So whilst you're worrying about making sure that the laundry's done and that the, uh, the kids are there, whether it's mom or dad packing the bags, then you actually, whoever it is who's doing the cooking, can just get on with it and use the magic of frozen foods to get good quality food with all of those five a day in it. Absolutely. And it's a pressure. It's hard. There is so much to pack in at this time of year and making sure after a long day at school that the kids have got a good meal on the table is a pressure to parents, you know, but now Birds Eye are making us aware that they've got this campaign. So I'm not sure if you know much about the campaign, um, but they have got an amazing ice cream van that has been wrapped all Birds Eye. I was looking off to see it last week um, and they will be driving around the country, giving out food bundles um, to parents at schools, um, just making them aware. And just a reminder, Birds Eye is here at this time of year. Yeah, so it's nice and easy to to spot the the the, the van is out and about, and yeah, you can't miss it. <laughs> you, you, you'll be fine there. But also, they're given the chance to to win an air fryer too, and that can save you energy and keep the bills down when you're preparing to. Absolutely. Do you know what? I am not lucky enough to own an air fryer, and I've been toying with the idea for a while. So. Have you got one yourself? I haven't, but as it goes, I was somewhat surprised when my 13-year-old at the time nephew decided he wanted one for Christmas, and he's had an air fryer yeah. for Christmas last year as a great yeah. healthy way of cooking. Yeah, everybody seems to love them, so I think I'm going to have to get on the hype. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> the way. Go for it. And uh, yeah, it's not only quick, but it also gives you that crunchy out, out of side. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, it really does. My like friends you, all rave about them. Yeah, um, so I'm sure you can cook fish fingers in there. I'll probably tell you how to do it on the packet. And they will come in because you can't microwave some of these things to do them quickly. So it's a great way of doing it. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you know this trick. The bird's eye waffles, which my daughter absolutely loves, um, you can actually put them in the toaster. Ah, yeah. No, yeah. I, I still that remember the campaign uh, that <laughs> the, the, the probably had them popping out of a toaster back in the day. So that sounds a great, yeah, another great yeah. way of doing it. Yeah, it really is. And do you know what? If you put them in twice, they just literally have got that little crunch on the outside. They just taste unreal. I mean, my daughter actually has them with jam on as well. Really? And I was <laughs> going to say, controversial. I thought ketchup would work. Taking them to a whole new level and put them in like a dessert breakfast kind of thing. But yeah, they're actually quite good. I, I was like, jam. I couldn't believe what she was doing. 
Um, but it's actually quite nice as well. There's something to give it a try to. So, okay, we'll, 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 we'll take the tip from the <laughs> Thomas family and give this a go. But uh, yeah. it, 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 it is good to be organised going back to school. And uh, have you got everything ready for them? Yeah, do you know what? I'm fairly organised. There is a few little bits that I need to do. But I think just kind of taking the pressure off yourself by just thinking, writing a list, I'm such a list maker, write it down. Okay, I need to do this today and tick it off when, it done, when it's done. It does make you feel a lot better. Um, just kind of making sure you're organized and just trying not to stress that like kids feed off you as a parent. And that's what I always think. So that's why I am turning to bird's eye in the evening. Cause I just think, Oh, I've been and I've bought this and it's all gone off in the fridge. It's not, I've not made like the spag bowl and I was meant to make it. My mince is off. Forget this. It's okay. Calm down. I've got bird's eye, which is, you know, it's nutritious. I know that the children love it and it's just trusted products in the freezer. I can have an easy meal done within like 15, 20 minutes when I'm trying to do the spellings, I'm trying to sort the uniform out the next day. And it's just, I mean, parents is just like, oh, I'm sure everybody can understand. And, and, and so without them going off to do a strictly thing, it's going to make it even harder work, isn't it? Because uh, you're going to basically be fueling his strictly with your bird's eye diet. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, come home, whatever time of night is going, it's okay. I'll put you some waffles in the toaster. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be good. I like yeah, the idea. Absolutely. So is it fun. from Wolverhampton that you're, you're based? Yes, we are. We are in Wolverhampton. So, I'm not sure if you know this, um, but Wolverhampton is one of the locations that the Bird's Eye van is going to be going to. So that is very exciting for you guys. If you go to the Bird's Eye website with forward slash back to school or Bird's Eye socials, then you can have a look whereabouts it's going to be. And it really is amazing and it's nice for nice for the kids little treat for the kids and obviously as you've mentioned you've got the chance of winning the air fryer and then the bundles as well but it all sounds good to me i'm liking the idea it's going to be brilliant stuff to have everyone involved particularly back Absolutely. to school week when it's all hectic make yeah. sure tea is nice and simple and get Absolutely. birds eye on the case there isn't any pressure take the you know the food pressure off your birds eye of there i've done that done that ticked off for you okay well all works for me uh caroline thank you for joining us thanks for having a chat and thank you for sharing tips of jam is it it strawberry or blackcurrant jam we're putting on our our waffles oh no she's strawberry and she's fussy so strawberry seedless for elsie (laughs) okay that's the way to do it we'll give that a bash yeah caroline thomas thanks for joining us my pleasure thank you so much G. Martin has once more got some exciting news. She's back on TV where she belongs and she joins me now for a bit of a natter all about it. Hello. Hello. <laughs> are you okay? How are you? <laughs> I'm all right. How are you doing? You okay? I'm fine, Jason. Thank you. So what's going on this time? Because it's not quite BGT. Uh, it's something slightly different. It's HGT. <laughs> so Holland has got talent. Uh, now, you've been yeah. uh, living over there and back in the UK and coming to do gigs. So uh, uh, with your Dutch husband, this qualifies you to be part of an interesting new franchise. Absolutely so. <laughs> so uh, explain a bit more about the audition process there, because uh, they already knew of you from your uh, BGT days, didn't they? They did. In fact, they did a lot of investigation. And when they knew that I was in Holland... Um, Hans got in touch with them and uh, said, my wife plays the organ and would you like to hear her? So they looked me up and they said, yes, we would. (laughs) (laughs) But does this mean the sparkly jackets are back? 
I had to put my sparkly jacket on, yes, for the audition, <laughs> of course, with a few extra sequins sewn on, because it's been well-worn, Jason, that jacket. I can imagine it has. There's two very different strands to your performances, aren't there? There's your traditional organ uh, playing uh, alongside the the more uh, lively, upbeat sort of music. So, you know, when you're a traditional, trained, fully classical musician uh, alongside an amazing entertainer, all rolled into one. And uh, that means, you know, you'll go sparkly jackets one day, and the next thing, you know, you're wearing a ball gown. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> Mind you, I didn't wear a ball gown on Ham- and on Holland's Got Talent. <laughs> no. So the, but, the, uh, the, the series is now out there, isn't it? Or is it starting in the early part of September? It starts on September the 1st. Right, OK, so there's something to look forward to. So uh, what what was it like being part of that, especially compared to what you did on BGT? It was... I was more relaxed, I think, because um, I'd had more experience with from Britain's Got Talent, mm-hmm. and I really knew what was going to happen. But <laughs> when we went in to register at the uh, the event, the lady said to me, "And where do you live?" <laughs> and I just froze. And I said, "Hans, where do I live?" <laughs> <laughs> To which he fell about. Anyway, um, we had to sort of sit like in a holding room that we did like on Britain's Got Talent. Mm. And um, the two guys who are the hosts, Jemai and Buddy, they are similar to um, Ant and Deck. Yeah, because I've seen the trails and it is very much the the whole franchise has been picked up and moved to uh, a different part of the world, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. It it's just it was just so lovely, and they made me feel so at home. And uh, one of the guys who was on the cameras, when we were just sitting in this holding room, he said, "Can you play Tico Tico?" <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I played Tico Tico for them, and uh, this was even before I'd even done any auditions. And then when it was time for the audition. They they even brought hands onto the stage. Now That's he's a bit more shy. <laughs> <laughs> he's not sort of flamboyant like me, but uh, he he was so proud of me. And um, when I did this audition, the hall was full of well, the audience were were absolutely amazing. But they were so loud at the end. <laughs> I had a standing ovation again, and all this. <laughs> And uh, I can tell you that I got through to the semi-final, but I can't tell you anything else. Okay, so that's uh, where we are at the minute. Because uh, yeah, the the. the... The, the series will run and it will show you all the uh, the bits and pieces and then the, the semi-final uh, is is the last of the recorded items and then it's the, the live shows after that, That's I suppose, cool. isn't it? And uh, we'll see what happens uh, from there on in. Now, is this something we'll be able to see on British TV? Because we've seen the trails so far online. You can if you go to RT4, Netherlands. So you can actually watch it as part of their streaming service. You can, yes. Okay, so that's worth yeah. checking out. You might need uh, a VPN to do that. Uh, but yeah. uh, there will be stuff <laughs> on YouTube and all sorts fairly quickly, won't there? There will, yes. Well, they've been already um, using me on the promo. Yeah, well, well so I, I spotted got, you. Yeah, you're, you're there. Yeah, I, they've I, got me whizzing my hand up the keys. They've also got me doing my famous, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. So it must be good fun. Because, I mean, how long is it now? Is it... 12 years since the uh, the BGT stuff. Yes, 2011 it was. It, it does not fly by, doesn't it? I mean, time has gone okay. so quickly. And I can't believe it. 
and I know the family was so proud of you then. And uh, obviously, you know, we've got uh, Hans who's cheering you on this time. Yes, oh, he's been at my rock. He really has because without him behind me, I mean, because I, I can speak some Dutch, but not confident enough when I've got to do an audition. <laughs> <laughs> or, yeah, Dutch on national TV from The Girl from Brood. That's right, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, he bought me the most beautiful instrument to play. He's bought me one of the top of the range organs to play. And it looked fantastic on the stage because it's white. Mm -hmm. and, uh, or, and I had my sparkly jacket on. And then for the semi-final, they made me an outfit. Which I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it was beautiful. We have to wait until <laughs> we see that on telly before we get to, uh, to see you in all you your will. glory there. And I know you love performing, and I know you love performing in all sorts of different styles. So uh, were you able to explore a little bit, or was it very much the the pop gene that we saw? They wanted the pop aspect, but they also wanted me to do something um, with a, a bit of a continental flavour. Ooh. Oh. Okay. So I did... Uh, a series of little clips because, again, you only are given a short moment. It's got to be one minute and so many seconds, the same as on Britain's Got Talent. Mm -hmm. And I started off with a semi-classical piece. Um, then I went into Latin. Uh, and I finished off with a, a really upmarket piece of music that's Dutch. <laughs> so, so playing to the audience. Then the audience went wild, and I mean, and then the audience went wild. Well, I, obviously, <laughs> jolly good fun to be part of, and uh, obviously, I mean, your your touring work has been going on for decades across the UK. Uh, but you brought a different angle to it when you did BGT as well, didn't it? Because there was some more of the sort of the the the, the fun venues as well as the classical performance venues that came in. Because having played palaces and the like, you're you're used to any audience. Of course, yes. I, I just settled down. I've played to 11 people. Um, I've played to the biggest audience, 32,000. <laughs> <laughs> and you know where that was. <laughs> oh, yeah, that would have been at Molyneux, yes. A bit of the Molyneux. Yeah, <laughs> that was good. For, we had a good fun that day, didn't we? It was lovely. And, of course, you know, yeah, performing on national TV to millions as well across the UK and now doing that in the uh, the Netherlands uh, and in, uh, in Holland. And having seen, there, there are a number of, you know, got talents around the world. So, you never know, before you know it, you could be doing uh, AGT or something like that, couldn't you? <laughs> Well, do you think I need to see see Simon again? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm sure he'd love to have you back. Uh, to, uh, board, but he doesn't like keyboard players, does he? Well, I know, but he was educated that he ought to, though, wasn't he? Yes. Well, he said he would like to see me play, playing on the end of the pier eating fish and chips. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, it's, uh, it's, it's good fun. It's just another string to the bow, uh, or literally a key to the organ in this case. And uh, what have you got coming up? Anything in the UK in the near future? Are you still waiting to try and get booking book settled down with the busy period you've got with uh, HGT? Well, HGT is all completely recorded now. And so my concerts in England are carrying on. And mm -hmm. um, my last one is in November, which I do a big show for Yamaha. And uh, what else am I doing? Then I go back to Holland mm -hmm. and I'm playing a classical organ in the church. And this is an interesting organ because it's 1867. Wow. And one half of it was originally 
a pump organ that you know like they used to pump the handle to get the wind going mm-hmm. and the stops the ma- the stops for the manuals are above your head oh right so that's a bit of a different so layer to what you used to <laughs> yeah so as i'm sitting facing the organ i've got to lift my arm up to pull the stops out well it's very much like it's the action you do on on, on bgta and hgt so it, it kind yeah, of works doesn't it <laughs> shoulder exercise yeah right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <You're> <laughs> Well, that's going to be something else to look forward to. Uh, we can, of course, see all of this, uh, the gigs on your website and the fun on your Facebook page, can't we? My website is jeanmartin.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, if anybody wants to email me, I can chat with them on email at jeanmartin at yahoo.com. Yeah, get in touch. And uh, if you've got a, a gig that would suit Jean, have a data. And uh, it doesn't matter, yeah, global. Just, as long as you pay the rider to get her there, she will uh, come along and play. It works every time, doesn't it? It does. Always a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you for joining us. Have a great time with Holland's Got Talent and the resulting uh, uh, notoriety that you get in uh, your semi-adopted country for that. And uh, have a, have fun as you head Thanks. through the, towards the end of the year with your concerts. <laughs> Thanks, Jason. It's lovely to speak with you. Somebody who knows his way around a set of DJ decks, whether they're virtual or real life, is Dan Morris. He has got a book out, Bang the Stage. Again, a true life account of an ordinary DJ, much more than ordinary. And he joins me now to tell me all about it. Hello, sir. Hello, Jason. How are you? I'm good. Good to have you along. And uh, alumni of WCRFM in Wolverhampton. Indeed, yes. Yes, it's been a few years, but yes, I have been there and done a show there. With the poor of the fact you aren't doing that at the moment. However, give us a bit of the, the journey through your DJing life. Oh, well, uh, yeah, it's a, bit of a, it's a bit of a mad one, really. I started in 1997. Um, I was a young lad then. Um, just started with um, mobile, uh, just DJing in a loft, really, with a best mate of mine. And mm-hmm. uh, Kind of just went from there. It was never really planned out where we were going to go with it, what we were going to do, but it just it's sort of a journey that took me a lot further than I ever anticipated, to be honest, and got really lucky along the way. So yeah, it's um I've had some good opportunities. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, this is part of the joys of DJing. You never know where it will take you. And uh, uh, one gig turns into, I don't know, maybe 10 years presenting at the likes of Radio Maldwin or your time at WCR. You know, all of this uh, suddenly pops into existence. And you know, the people that you meet along the way, whether it be some of the celebs or some of the real people who are just out having a good night and having a good night because of you, uh, is it it is quite a privilege, isn't it? Oh, it's it, it's an addiction. That's all I can say, really. Once once you've um, you've played music to be it ten people, fifty people, five hundred people, the, the the same feeling is there, no matter what. And um, and when I started, I, I had a dream. I always wanted to be a DJ, uh, and then I wanted to do radio. I wanted to do club work. I wanted to do this, and it was just. It was just something that I got that hooked on doing that mm-hmm. I just that was my mind was focused on that and that's all I wanted to do and I, I'm I'm quite pleased really um, that I stuck to it and I got the opportunities along the way so I was kind of lucky really I wasn't you know it was a, it wasn't all plain sailing as it as it describes in the book you know it's not 
one of those things you can just go, I'm going to be a DJ, I'm going to get a job here, here or here. You know, you've really got to work for some things that you want. You have to work, you have to have the talent too. Yeah. And you have to have, have a meanable uh, world around the DJ way of life. Because I know this is a part of a two to three pronged career for you. So <laughs> you've got other interests and other ways of paying the bills. And all of this comes together to create you know, Dan Morris, the experience. Yeah, it, it does. It does. Um, uh, when I was a lot younger and had less responsibilities, I sort of, I lived for the weekend. I, all I could think about on a Monday morning is when's the next gig? Uh, what are we doing? How are we going to do it? And um, yeah, my journey was uh, a little different sometimes, you know, but sometimes with uh, alternative employment didn't quite go my way sometimes because I was just so focused on doing the radio work, the club work, the mobile work. So, you know, luckily um, I realized once I got a little bit older uh, that, uh, yeah, I do need a, a regular job to pay the bills. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's one of those things though, isn't it? Cause I mean, DJing is a nice extra income for, for many people, yeah. um, but equally it, it, it is a vocation and something which, there's there's an elite who do uh, you know, the, the the top level gigs. They were warming up at concerts or are the gig. Uh, I was talking to Judge Jules last week. I mean, uh, he was doing uh, a warm up for a classical thing. Because he was one of the names that was selling the bill. Uh, yeah. But it, the the fact that you've got DJs who perform at the likes of maybe the NEC, NIA, whatever those venues are called these days, uh, who are performing before a, a show to really wind that crowd up. And I, I think very often people don't get that actually is a huge skill and talent. I mean, having done 80s nights myself back in, in the 90s, I was doing this stuff just be, uh, around uh, Wolverhampton. And yeah. uh, I had a day job in uh, in Leicester, so I'd commute to there. And I, so I was doing crazy hours. And you never really realise what hours your DJ is doing, as well as making sure they've got the latest music. And uh, in your time, it's been on vinyl and CD, and then vinyl again, and then uh, as, as, as digital files. And all of that, it, it, it's a lot to curate. It, it is a lot. And when I when I was writing the book, um, it was bringing back the memories of when I was just, I just had all the energy in the world. I never got tired. I, I just, it was nuts because I, I remember I was holding down a day job, uh, which required me to start at 5 a.m. in the morning. But yet I'd go out on a Wednesday night on a student night and I'd DJ till three in the morning mm -hmm. and I'd come home and I, you know, I probably wouldn't even go to sleep. I'd just get up, have a shower and just just go back out of the door and work again. But, you know, when you're, you've got a fascination with it like that and you're getting gigs, you kind of. You just go with it. But it's, it's the energy that drives you on. I mean, having done similar, you, you, so the problem is you, you stop doing that and then suddenly getting back into it is hard work as you're getting a bit older. But yeah. uh, you're not quite as old as me. But uh, I, I tell you, once you turn 50, you don't want to do it at all. <laughs> no, I, 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 some of the things now I think about what we did, the, the rigs, I mean, we did it we just went crazy with it it was um i had some really good friends that helped me a best mate of mine who came along that's in the book the pinnacle part of that is is him and uh we were just we loved as much as we i love the dj and he was obsessed with the lighting and the sound and <laughs> things like that and they're and, special people as well though mm, oh he was brilliant he was brilliant mark he was just fantastic and there was no way i would have ever have got to experience some of the gigs I've done as a DJ without him by my side. He was, he was, you know, he was brilliant. Whether he'd say the same or not, I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was, it was brilliant. We had a, such a good time. And it is uh, about 
enjoying yourself at the same time as pleasing the crowd because if you're not having fun they're not having fun as soon as it becomes just a job that's the time to give it up isn't it it is a hundred percent and there's been there's been times where um you might not feel like going to do a gig but you've got to switch it on and you've got to think right well i'm going here tonight to do a job to perform to entertain people so it's no good me being in a in a grump or anything because they'll feed off that negative you know attitude that you've got so you know you've got to go but there there was there was a time where I you know as soon as I started feeling mm, a little bit like I'm not sure if I can do this particular gig anymore I I put a stop to it because I'd rather go all or nothing really and it is about uh, yeah, you you are Mr Entertainment on that night and the, and the crowd always react to that as well and it's something that we both experienced whether you know, the, the, the one odd night I randomly ended up DJing at Miss Moneypenny's in Wolverhampton at the Canal Club <laughs> and uh, I was conned into it for via a radio station oh yeah turn up, we turn up to do an 80s night yeah. and uh, they hadn't thought to mention that it was only on vinyl uh, and uh, so I went back, fetched the decks on CD and then yeah, did the night, had good fun with it uh, but it, it, it's always interesting when you, when you meet a crowd for the first time and it is like making new friends oh yeah 100 percent. it's like making new friends and i made so many friends from doing different gigs um various shapes and sizes and then you know it's nice to see those same people start to follow you around event to event which is mm -hmm. great as well because you're obviously yeah, i'm doing something all right here <laughs> you know but you know like i said it's, it's not all plain sailing like you just explained there where you turned up and it was a vinyl only gig you know i've turned up to a gig before now and was told last minute it was a motown only night <laughs> ah right what are we gonna do here so yeah it's it does come with its surprises that's for sure and since things have gone much more digital it does make it an awful lot easier but it still, does. the skill has to be there. And you know, so you, you know how to mix on CD or vinyl and you know, beat match two tracks. It's If someone's just pressing a button on a, on a laptop these days, it takes some of the skill out, but you've still got to get the tracks right. It's a, yeah, it's a controversial matter, that, with the digital DJs of this world. You'll always hear things like, oh, they're not a proper DJ because they're a laptop DJ. Uh, they're not a proper DJ because they've never used vinyl. It's I don't believe in all of that, to be honest with you. You've still got to have an element of skill, like you've just said there. You've still got to know your music. You've still got to know the basics. And the thing is, um, as I've described in the book, I started with vinyl, which when you look back now, you'd think how on earth could anyone mix two pieces of black plastic on a platter? You know, <laughs> it's just no timings, no nothing. But, you know, these days that's all given to you. But you, like I say, you still need to know your music. So that's essential. Absolutely. And reading an audience as well. And that's that's the the other big part of it. And also knowing when you want to clear the dance floor, because they, people think, oh, they've cleared the dance floor, that DJ, they, they, they don't know what they're doing. They do. The buffet's about to start or they want to get the kids up for whatever reason. And whether it's a family party you're doing or whether a massive nightclub, there's always got to be a change of shift, hasn't there? So you don't wear out your audience. Exactly that. And it's the same towards an end of an evening as well. You know, you have to the, the end of the evening, I found with some not all not all gigs, but some gigs you you kind of um, if it's really, really lively and you've got 10 minutes before the place shuts and the, the security is starting to look at their watches and panic, then you kind of got to think, right, I've got to slow this down a little bit and try and put the brakes on it a little bit and just sort of like a plane landing almost, you know, and coming in for the land. So there's been times where you've just got to think smart and think, right, what can I do to slow them down instead of wind them back up again? <laughs> <laughs> or sometimes slow them down whilst winding them up in some ways. Yeah, 
chuck on a bit of Frank Sinatra, finish off the uh, uh, the, the night with New York, New York. And once they've, they've done those last kicks at the end of the song, actually, they are maybe ready for taxes. That's it, yeah. That's exactly it. They'll wake up stiff as a board in the morning and know they've had a good night then. <laughs> <laughs> but I was clearly, you, you've had fun through the years. The, the fun still continues, though, doesn't it? Oh, it certainly does. I've not I've not hung up the headphones yet, and I've got no intention to hanging up the headphones. I've slowed it down a little bit. I mean, I don't really do the mobile gigs now. I would never say never. However, um, I'd much rather, you know, if somebody wanted a gig, I'd, I'd do it, providing it was pre-fixed, the equipment was there, because I certainly haven't got the energy to start loading <laughs> up bands, Land Rovers and trailers to do it all over again. And none of the uh, none of the guys that used to help me, if I went and told them that, right, grab the keys, we're going again. They go, not on your Nelly. There's not enough yet. ibuprofen in the world to convince them no to go No way. <laughs> no, so we wouldn't do that again. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm doing afternoon uh, shifts now, which afternoon gigs have started to really take off. Um, so myself and Sam, uh, we've got this event going called Dance Anthems Takeover, where we just play a selection of dance music from current um, right back to the early 90s. And we do that in an afternoon, sort of three till nine-ish. And it really is a cracking afternoon. And what I like about that as well is it brings people out that no longer want to go out at eight, nine o'clock and into a nightclub. It brings the people out that used to do all that. But uh, now they just they just like to come in an afternoon, get a few beers, kebab, and in bed by nine, ten o'clock. <laughs> but still good. throw some shapes, but be That's home in time exactly for supper. <laughs> I like it. Uh, we can find out all about your journey through the world of DJing with Bang the Stage. Again, how do we get hold of a copy? Uh, you can head on over to the, the website, uh, which is uh, bangthestageagain.co.uk. Uh, there's a link on there to buy the book. And obviously there are some um, social uh, clicks, clicky things. I don't know what the proper word is. My brother-in-law would kill me for that. But <laughs> there's um, there's links to the socials, Instagram and Facebook. I've set up an Instagram page and a Facebook page. Mm -hmm. um, because there aren't any pictures in the book, what I've done is on these social pages um, is I'm uploading pictures from stories in the book. So people can kind of go, oh, right, okay, that's that story. Let's have a look what what that picture was and sort of keeps it more interactive. I'm hoping for a Spotify playlist too. Are you still working on that one? I'm working on that one, especially for you, Jason. Yes. I'll, I'll, I think that'd be good fun to read along with the book and listen to the music. That's it. Frank Sinatra has just made its way onto it for you. <laughs> we shall look forward to it. Well, Dan, thanks for having a chat with us. Keep up the good work with the entertaining the masses. Have a great time as you continue to be on the road in selected destinations and enjoy everything else you're going on to. Oh, that's brilliant. Thank you, Jason. Thanks very much. Nice to speak to you. Restoring biodiversity in your garden can improve not only your environment, but that for the animals and plants that live there too. To tell us more, I'm joined now by Julia Matthews from Real Wild Estates. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm good. I hope we find you well and hoping to uh, promote the uh, the use of, of more of a natural environment around our homes. Exactly. And we, we absolutely need to do that. So um, it's it's really critical, as you say, our biodiversity is in a, in a bad place. We're at the bottom 10% uh, of, of biodiversity intactness in, in, in across the globe. So we're in a really bad place and we really need to get it back. So delighted to be here, delighted to be talking about it. Um, we do it on a on a very large scale across. We help landowners, farmers, people who want to invest in biodiversity, put money back into it um, across the UK. But 
lots of other people can do it in their own backyards and in their own gardens. So exciting to be with you. Yeah, and uh, so it's something that we can do ourselves. And the L'Oreal Fund for Nature Regeneration has also been helping this take place uh, across the UK. But what, when it comes to our own space, what can we do? Yeah, so the reality is 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 wonderful. You when you look at your your garden, there are lots of things you can do. One of the things we are, you know, nature loves scruffiness, and of course we <laughs> don't as humans. We kind of we need to get away from this sort of Victorian gardens, which has everything in straight lines and things. Nature doesn't do that. Allow nature a little bit more space in your garden. Allow it to be self-willed, so it's able to dictate a little bit of what it does. Give it, give it, um, don't cut it to within an inch of its life. Um, so don't mow so often, don't trim it back all the time. Winter, you know, we, we're in autumn time now, really important to allow cover, allow the grass to grow back, allow things to be in there. Don't forget it, the minute you cut it, you've just taken away all the, 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 the most of the species have now got, been cut out of it. They've laid their eggs in those areas. They, you know, you've destroyed habitat for, for a whole section of, of, of wildlife. So it's really important that you, you don't do that. You make sure there's still food in, in your garden for them. There's still water around. So those things are really important. So I, I always say, think like an animal when you're in, in your garden. <laughs> think like an insect. Think like a, a, a pony, for instance, which grazes randomly. It doesn't mow things in straight lines and bits and pieces. So if you can think a bit like that, you'll have a lot more fun with your garden and lots of things will happen that you didn't know and you didn't expect and are great fun. We've, known, we've got to learn to love our native flora and fauna, including some of the things we used to call weeds. Yeah, well, there's some weeds have got some amazingly good-looking flowers on them, and even if you don't have the whole garden set up as a much more rewilding, exactly. having a rewilding area that, that, uh, that allows you to see all this nature going on, that that can be a good compromise. No, of course, and I would say that do it incrementally. Watch it, see how it enjoy what's coming out of it. Watch it very closely, and you'll get huge joy out of that. And then you, maybe you can expand it more. You can have more. It is critical. I mean, our our gardens collectively are four times the our entire national park network. So they are become the, the refuge for a lot of our our nature um, in in the UK. And you know, a lot of our landscape outside and and farms are because of all the the, um, the stuff that we put on them over the last you know half century. We now have most of our wildlife residing in some of our cities and towns and gardens so really important that we we use that as the refuge to going forward and, and, and encourage people to do that and think about it but think like an animal really important think like an animal but it's far like it's the the the, the early stone age it, it, exactly yeah using old implements and things so everything is not trimmed to an inch of its life you're absolutely right but again, it's something to enjoy and, and through education and sharing and getting the kids to, to grow native plants. Uh, obviously, native plants grow a lot better. You're not going to have a problem growing things that are destined to be on these shores. If you're bringing something in from Japan to try and look nice in your garden, you're going to struggle. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, I, I'm a complete cheapskate as a gardener. I don't really buy very much. Uh, I don't water very much. I don't have to because I've got a rewilded garden for the last 25 years. And of course, I've always had this, you know, people going, well, Jules, it looks a bit scruffy. And why don't you do this? Why don't you do that's the point. The point is I'm not doing it for myself. I'm doing it for nature. And, and that's a, a different thing. So, but it, the, the great joy I have from, from lying in it and listening to the buzz, seeing the butterflies, looking at the grasshoppers in my lawn, these are real privileges that 
that you, you're now not seeing in some of our landscapes outside of these areas now. We're looking to get 100,000 acres rewilded across the, the nation. Uh, you know, bringing landscapes back to life is an amazing project to have, and I know that's what you're working towards the real wild estates. But, of course, beauty company, number one beauty company, L'Oreal, are working alongside you in this too. Yeah, they've been tremendous supporters. They have a they have a fund which uh, they do you know goes across the world to help nature restoration. They're dependent on biodiversity themselves for all their products, so they know that actually if we if we lose it, we're in you know, they're in trouble as much as the the rest of the humanity. So the key for us is give space to nature, and we need we need to try and encourage that both in our own garden, but those who have the the, the lands and, and farmers come to us. We'd love to show you how to restore, recover, you know, allow nature to recover. And the amazing thing today is we've never been in, in such a, a good place to allow that to happen, to make it, you know, uh, nature recovery a viable land use option. And that is really exciting today. That's 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 now possible. And we can show that, we can demonstrate that to 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 farmers, to landowners, landholders. So we're delighted if that, that can happen as part of this. That'd be good to see. Where can you go for more information on not only the work from L'Oreal, but also the Real Wild Estates team too? Exactly. So just look at our website. It's it's realwildestates.com. Uh, feel free to do that. We've got 10 tips on, on rewilding your garden as well. But you'll see uh, there's a lovely video of one of the places we'll be doing in Cornwall called Hamateti. We'd love to love to show you that and, and see what they do and, and the exciting stuff that's happening um, around the UK. Well, Julian Matthews from Real World Estates, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Jason. Really enjoyable. Thanks. It's always good to catch up with John Starkey and see what's going on in the stars and his world of clairvoyance. And he joins me now on the line with River Natter. Hello, sir. Hello, how are you doing? I'm all right. How are you keeping? Good, I'm fine, thanks. Good stuff. Now, obviously, the, the, the world in which you live has sort of uh, been moving around quite a lot. You've been doing a load of work for people via telephone of late. Uh, what is going on in your world of clairvoyancy at the minute? Well, lots of consultations on a one-to-one -one basis and trying to sort of reinforce the element of spreading the word a bit and answering those questions, what are we doing here? What's the purpose of this life? Where do we come from and where might we be going to? And obviously people are coming to you for uh, a chat. They know of your reputation. I mean, we, we know you from your days over many, many decades uh, doing star signs on uh, local radio and uh, mm. also, you know, sharing uh, times on air with people. And But that's very mm. different to what you'll do during a, a personal one-to-one -one consultation. No, very similar, actually, mm. because... Doing it on the air sort of sharpens you up because you don't see the person. You only get a feeling of their energy. And that comes through the voice. So if you listen to the voice very carefully, not what it's saying, but just the intonation of the voice, then that's how you pick up. And in a way, it's similar to a one-to-one -one basis because the only way to do that from my point of view is I close my eyes, don't look at the person, go into that state like halfway between sleep and awake, very relaxed, and then tell them everything that I can see. And when you are doing a consultation like that, what sort of things do you often get through? I mean, I know it's different for everybody. but Oh, all sorts, really. Sometimes the most bizarre things. Um, all kinds of things come through from, uh, you know, from things to do with emotions mm. and relationships and whatever really is in the energy of the person. 
because I think that picking up on that energy is really quite profound sometimes. And often people will come to you because they have a, a specific question. And, and um, that, yeah. that can sometimes be a bit difficult because obviously you, you don't really want to be guided by what they're saying. You want to be guided by the energy. That's right. Well, we do the questions at the end, and that's the reason why we do that. First of all, I talk to the person, tell them what I can see, and then if they want to ask questions about it or about something else, we can do that as well. Now, with the the world of the uh, the horoscope, I know this is something you say you've uh, mm. you've worked on uh, in the past. I mean, how mm. do you feel twenty twenty three is going to finish for us? I mean, uh, well, yeah, really, as, as a nation to begin with. Yes, it'll finish with a bang. I get the feeling that what will happen is that we'll. Um, I did a little podcast a couple of years ago and was asked a similar question, and unfortunately, I abruptly answered that I could see almost civil unrest. And I think that's probably going to be where we're going. But I think in astrological terms, it looks as if there's something like that that will clear the air and then begin to take us back to some sort of balanced normality. Because it has been a difficult time. And of course, this has caused many people to worry and probably people who maybe haven't spoken to yourself or someone in your profession before to to seek extra guidance. Yeah, sometimes, yes, there are people who worry about all sorts of things. And, and of course, whenever there's blight or difficulty, then we tend to become, myself and people like me, tend to become very busy. And with the uh, the number of years now you've worked uh, in this area, yes. uh, and, and yeah, in Wolverhampton and, and the surrounding areas, yeah. and now working uh, mm. in the main part by phone, I mean, you've met some wonderful people along the way, haven't you? Oh, absolutely, yes, very interesting people. Quite bizarre people, loving people, all kinds of different people. And they've all got this lovely energy in their own sort of way. Now, with the world that uh, you, you work in, uh, mm. is, is there any things that you, you try and avoid talking about with people? Where, yeah, maybe, yeah, I suppose everything has to be out there in the mm. open. Well, whatever you talk about, you should talk about in a sympathetic way and a way that really isn't going to shock or frighten anyone. However... As conversation is as normal, sometimes you might say to somebody, for example, I see you having a child and it may be the last thing that they want. So they're not going to be particularly happy at that point, whereas someone else would be elated in that respect. So you just deliver it in such a way, if you can, that's calm and that you are trying to help them as much as you can. And how does it feel for you when you, you get the, the energy that uh, you, you pick up on that you then, uh, through you know, the, what you have, turn into an understanding of, of maybe what could be perceived to be the future for somebody? Yeah. Well, it's great because when I first started in 1969, I was um, what drew me to it was a combination of fear and excitement. Well, the fear has dropped quite a lot over the years, but the excitement is still there. And the ability to sort of sense things with people in a very ordinary kind of way, anyone can do it. It's just a matter of attuning the right part of your mind, getting to that halfway state, halfway between sleep and awake. In India, they'd probably call it a dharma. And once you get to that state, then you just let your subconscious mind uh, let the person know exactly what you can feel. So in a way, it's very exciting still. Uh, and back to the horoscopes briefly, I mean, how does uh, a chart work and how, how would you put it together for, say, a person or maybe when you're doing something like a, a horoscope for Pisces on the radio? 
Yes. Well, I used to do the horoscopes really, especially for radio. I didn't do sort of complete charts, but I would work out the tendencies and so on. But um, the way to do a complete chart really is to first of all, see the point at which the person was born, the geography of where they were born and the time of their birth. All of those points are very essential. And then working with those for the year that they were born, they used to be in the old days books, which were called ephemerises, but now of course it's all on the computer. So you would mathematically work out the time of their birth, which would tell you which sun sign they were, then you would find what was rising in that sign and then carry on to looking perhaps later at the predictive side of it too. And the way in which people's paths uh, move through their lives, it must be uh, interesting when you get people who come back to you on a regular basis and you're able to see you know, the, the way in which their lives are developed and, and the stories that mm. they have to tell. Oh, definitely. Yes, absolutely. I remember one gentleman said that he took 33 years before something actually came to fruition. I think that's my record at the moment, 33 years. <laughs> but, uh, it, it is good, though, that people have these conversations, they make notes, and, and they look back on the yeah. conversations that yes. you have. And yeah, it, I record most of them, so they've got a sort of record of it to take with them. And I mean, are you seeing people face-to-face -face these days, or is it uh, a lot of oh, on, yes, on the telephone? Yes, I still see people face-to-face. -face. I come to Birmingham quite regularly, occasionally to Wolverhampton, but I'm really retired now, sort of semi-retired. I couldn't retire altogether because it's not something that you can just stop. Um, so um, at the moment, I see people on the Welsh coast as well. Yeah, because you've uh, been uh, doing conventions in uh, in London now for quite That's some time, right. and uh, yes. it, it, a great place to go. And because many people will be visiting from our area and uh, and spend That's some time right. over there, and maybe a trip to see John yep. Starkey would be good whilst they're there. Yes, well, I see them walk up the hill and see my sign on the shop that's there, and they say, "Oh my goodness, you're here! I thought you were dead." <laughs> that's uh, that's not called for but uh, however i'm sure you'd still get a message through either even if you had passed but uh, yeah. it is good to, to know that people i mean I, I remember your name and you've been part of uh, our lives in wolverhampton and, and uh, surrounding areas for, for so long mm. now i thoroughly enjoyed it yes indeed so how, how do people get in touch if they do want to chat uh, just give us a call on we've still got the old wolverhampton number that will connect to me and that is 01902 334 224 or the website is johnstarkey.co.uk and people can find out the work that you've got on where you are and if you're uh, in the area or if you're we're working at a larger event which I, I'm sure even in semi-retirement still happens oh yes it still happens they're most enjoyable yeah well, always the good nice, to talk nice to you. thing is now that I can work at my own pace, which <laughs> it's really nice. Yeah, chill out, relax. And, uh, yes. and again, it, it's, it's something that always has been a, a very relaxed profession for you, isn't it? it, it, it you've yes. got to be in that right yes. place. That's right. Yep, I can chill out and pretend I'm 23, and that's quite good. Uh, you always will be so us, John. <laughs> <laughs> it's always a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you for having a chat with and us. You and you too. I'll hopefully bump yeah. into you on the Welsh coast somewhere soon. Thanks very much indeed. Thanks. That's a lot for this week. Thank you so much for joining me back with episode 742 next week. I'll see you then. Throw up and out. Goodbye from the mill bar. Goodbye from the mill bar. 
Goodbye from the milk bar. Goodbye from the milk bar. Yeah. Goodbye from the milk bar. Yeah.